Good morning, dear saints and blessed Lenten tide. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Tuesday, February 27th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today, we are taking up Deuteronomy chapter 15, wherein Moses introduces the concept of the Sabbath year, a time of debt forgiveness and liberation, which underscores God's deep concern and compassion within the Israelite community. He instructs the people to cancel debts every seven years, urging them to lend generously and without hesitation, knowing that God's blessing would compensate their generosity. Moses also commands the humane treatment of Hebrew slaves who are to be freed in the seventh year with sufficient resources to start anew. Folks, whether it's over the air, online, or as a podcast, I'm just glad that you're here. You're the reason we're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can visit them online at lhfmissions.org. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. So next time you're online, head over to lhfmissions.org to see what they can do for you. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, well, while you're online checking out lhfmissions.com, or pardon me, .org, you can say hi to me by emailing me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can call in to an 800-730-2727 with your comments, questions, concerns, or complaints. You can also send me a message on Facebook if you're so uh, inclined. Now, joining us this morning to open up Deuteronomy chapter 15, it's the Reverend Levi Wilms, Associate Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church of Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. Good morning, Pastor Wilms, and welcome back to the program. Good morning, Phil. Well, it's nice to have you. You're in Sauk Rapids, so you and I are in the same area. I don't know how it is there with you, but yesterday it was 64 degrees, and today uh, we have snow. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> I don't think we're getting snow, but it is amazing how it was sunny this morning. It looked like it was going to be a nice day, and the cold is coming in. <laughs> well, such is the Minnesotan weather, although it has been, I guess, um, historically warm, the warmest on record since like 1870-something, but I've been enjoying it, so it doesn't bother me a bit. Um, I'm glad, <laughs> glad to have you back on the program. Um, we have uh, some interesting stuff to discuss today, uh, debt relief uh, slavery, uh, liberation from slavery, reparations, all kinds of things that we can talk about, and we will. But before we do, would you open our time together in prayer? Absolutely. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for a chance to dive into uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15. Uh, in the midst of this, there's all kinds of things that we can see that you intended for your people, who you had brought out of the slavery of Egypt and into the promised land. Uh, in there, there's also things that we can draw on uh, for our own relationship with you. Uh, and in the midst of this also, I think uh, you point us to your son, Jesus, uh, all in uh, one chapter. And I pray that uh, you would encourage us in our study today. Um, not that we have all the answers, Lord, uh, but you continually remind us of the relationship that we have with you uh, and you draw us uh, near to you uh, through Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Well, when we were back in chapter 14, we had some regulations passed down about clean and unclean food and and tithes, right? A, a tenth of the what they produce, and it supports the Levites and the priests. But now uh, we're moving into what the ESV uh, editors entitle the sabbatical year. I'm going to read the first, oh, I don't know, six verses and uh, and see where we can go from there. Friends at home, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because Yahweh's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you. For Yahweh will bless you in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of Yahweh your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For Yahweh your God will bless you as he has promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. All right, that's the end of verse 6. So, yeah, this idea that... Just like we have, uh, I guess, a Sabbath day, there is sort of a, a Sabbath year, a, a sabbatical. Uh, it's, it's a rest from this indebtedness. Uh, take us through what this looks like, brother. Um, I have to be honest with you. I, I think as I was uh, preparing for this, uh, I probably had maybe a wrong understanding going in. Um, one of those things, when as we read God's word, sometimes we read quickly, we think we have an understanding, and then you start to dive deeper. And sometimes it brings more questions, and sometimes it brings answers. But um, there is this cycle that is given. Uh, it's also connected with the idea of farming the land for six years and then having a fallow year, a year in which they would not farm. And here now it's bringing that same type of idea of uh, the Sabbath for the land into uh, the relationship of debt uh, with one another. And uh, I would have to say when I first read it, it just sounds like, well, loan forgiveness. And <laughs> right. um and as I was looking in commentaries, there's a lot of debate about that. Is it loan forgiveness or is it more like loan forbearance? And there's a lot that are kind of leaning more in that direction in the same way that the land, you would farm it for six years. And then on that seventh year, you let it rest. And then you pick up farming again <laughs> after that year. Uh, it's kind of like the idea that if someone has a debt to me, uh, I press them for repayment. But then there is a year where I no longer uh, press for repayment. Uh, I, I let it stand. I let it go. Uh, I rely on uh, also the springs in the foreigner. I rely on God uh, to bring my my sustenance to me, uh, the debt doesn't necessarily just go away, but uh, I do not need to continually press uh, for that repayment. And I think there's some there's some strong indication there, especially when you connect it with the land, that that might be more of the idea of it. The the release is uh, letting up uh, more so maybe than just a complete. 
oh, fine, you owed me a hundred thousand. Yeah, no big deal. It's gone, <laughs> right? But uh, but a little bit more of the idea of yes, there still is the responsibility of the one who is indebted. But God is granting them a release. Uh, God is granting them a a space uh, where the the loan is no longer pressed against them. Yeah, I'm not. I, I I'm taking in everything you're saying, and I, I do believe yeah. it's an unconventional view because I, I don't know that I agree, and, and I yeah, don't and think maybe. I agree because of its juxtaposition to releasing the slaves. You know, it's it's in the same sort of spirit that the slaves are released, and so they aren't released for a year. They aren't released for a short time. They're completely released. Uh, and it isn't like, well, I, I'm going to take a break from from burdening you with labor. It is a you are free. So I, I don't know. I, I, and that's 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 why I'm not sure I'm completely convinced of that. But I'm always open to influence. Um, I, I think as we look through this, you know, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner. And it says, every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor, and he shall not exact it of his neighbor. To not exact it literally means he can't get it from his brother. Um, Why? Because Yahweh's release has been proclaimed. Now, foreigners are different, right? And we we see the same connotation even in the New Testament where, first and foremost, we serve the household of God. It's not that we're not here to serve the whole world by proclaiming Christ, but— we have to take care of each other first, and we see those same parallels here. Uh, but of a foreigner, I mean, go for it, right? But whatever is your brother in your brother's hand, you shall release. Um, and then he says, "But and but but there will be no poor among you." And so I think that's also a fascinating statement in light of Jesus' own statement that says, "The poor you'll always have with you." Uh, and so. Why are there differences there? I guess I would point to the fact that the no ha- having no poor among you is contingent upon them keeping the law. And Jesus says, you're always going to have poor among you. I think reflecting back right here to Deuteronomy, if I can be honest, and, and I think he's thinking you're, the poor are going to always be among you because the poverty comes from us not following God's law to take care of our neighbor. And then there's also the warn, the worry, like, hey, well, if I'm if I'm just going to have my debts forgiven, the ones I lend out, my lending, it's going to be forgiven. Then why would I lend? Well, he even addresses later not to worry about that either. So, yeah, I don't know that I'm completely convinced, but I'm certainly willing to hear uh, more testimony on the fact. <laughs> and I'm not a hundred percent sure it matters either way. Um, I think ultimately it functions the same for the the person that holds it 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 pushes them to is their reliance ultimately upon god to care for them or are they operating in some senses a lot of this goes back to exodus are you operating like egypt um where you are treating people ultimately as a means of some sort of gain um or are you relying on god to make sure that you will be cared for. And so even whether you're not pressing the debt or whether you're releasing the debt, either way, uh, the text is very strong that God is the one who has provided you. And so when you get into the slave part, it's the same thing. Uh, you've, you've accumulated or you've, God has blessed you more than what you're losing 
as you let them go. Um, and so he'll put towards the idea of this is the as Egypt begrudgingly gave up uh, the Israelite slaves and as God plundered Egypt, right? Now you are going to freely and celebrate releasing that slave. Uh, and at the same time, you're going to freely grant them your possessions because God has already blessed you uh, abundantly through those things. So uh, in the relationship of the person to God, I'm not sure it exactly matters whether it's a release or a um a, a forgiveness. Uh, I do think there's maybe always in there a little bit, uh, the, uh, the release of the slave is a little bit of an indentured nature of coming into um, that relationship uh, where I think possibly the debt is, is maybe a different type of thing. But I don't know. I can't tell you I'm conclusive on it. I was just interested to find out that that initial reading may or may not have um, uh, maybe how it just comes across. Yeah, no, I think it's very interesting, certainly uh, worthy of consideration. You know, I, I like what Luther says about this. He talks about uh, how he makes this distinction. He says that the seventh year, this is a quote, uh, however, was fixed and firmly established just as the year of Jubilee was for restoring mm -hmm. and canceling debts on purchases. But he, he, he illustrates it follows from the fact that it does not begin from the day on which the loan was made, but was general for the whole land and people, just like the festivals of Passover and Pentecost and others. Now, I'm going to keep on going, but I, my first degree is in criminology, so I have a, a vested interest in these types of <laughs> litigating ideas. And I just love how he, he applies this to his day and age. Uh, Luther continues, he says, truly it is a most beautiful and fair law. Would that today the rulers of the world might imitate it. Then they would have fewer questions and commotions for people would know that suits and disputes and debts and dealings and agreements and judgments and seals and letters would all be removed at one time and canceled in the seventh year, whether that be close or far away and not be postponed and continued forever into endless litigation. So uh, he is a, uh, a, a man of my own heart. He doesn't like tying up the court systems. But, but here's the thing, and, and I think this is what everybody wants to know. So presuming it is just completely forgiven, as, as Luther assumes, or maybe just there's some sort of deferment uh, put off, um, people would say, hey, well, wouldn't people be hesitant to lend? Luther sees that as... <laughs> Luther sees that as a, a feature, not a bug. He says, yeah. likewise, they would be forced to be cautious not to lend so great a sum that there would be ho no, ho no hope of repayment before the seventh year, nor would it be possible to be wasteful or deprave people to rely on other people's wealth, which they would garner through borrowing and agreements. So Luther says even the concept puts a check on people aren't going to be lent more than they can repay because, you know, no lender is going to take on that risk. And people would be a little bit more self-sufficient, not not seeking after to rely on the wealth of others. Um, again, I don't know if his application is spot on. You know, Luther's dealing with a different world and society than we are. But boy, those things kind of speak to my heart. You know, no overlending, no overborrowing, no endless tie-ups in court. It's almost as if God yeah. knew what he was doing. 
Well, I, I don't know why I was laughing so much. I, you know, first, as you were talking, I was thinking of, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the no- novel Bleak House, but, you know, mm-hmm. the, he, uh, Dickens is bringing up that reality of, you know, just how things are languishing in court. And then eventually the, the judgment is just, it's all used up by lawyers. And uh, it just it'd be interesting what Luther was saying, just like a world where you, uh, we don't need lawyers. Right. <laughs> you know, we don't need, you know, this this broad legal system that seems to just kind of eat up the the pie um, along with that as well. Uh, and and you have an agrarian society, which is just so foreign to us as well. Um, but every person that is in, in debt or in a tough spot, um, they're dealing directly with a real person. They're not dealing with just a legal system or dealing with a government off somewhere, right? They have someone that actually is working with them, uh, requiring work from them um, in order for their sustenance. Uh, So there is that responsibility element that is at play. But then at the same time, there's not a there's no means in the end, according to the law we have here from from Moses uh, to to abuse forever, you know, and so there is that check and balance, which is, I think, kind of what you were getting to at the end. There's that check and balance of personal responsibility and at the same time, uh, not not abusing uh, those who who God has put you in responsibility for. Yeah, and it and it re- reminds too uh, me. Pardon me. It reminds me too of of Jesus. Uh, you know, Jesus says mm-hmm. in Luke six, "But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward yeah. will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil." So, so Jesus has this, and and Jesus loves quoting from Deuteronomy. Jesus has this kind of idea, I think, also behind the wisdom that he's it's you know it's not new wisdom it's his wisdom from eternity so mm-hmm. I, I do like this idea I, I do also and, and this is my own speculation but you know god knowing all things he knows that this only exists in a perfect world i mean he, he knows that <laughs> he, he says he says destroy all the people and the and the false gods in the land you're going to and then he says also don't marry them well wait a minute <laughs> If we're destroying them all, why would we even have the opportunity to marry them? And I just imagine God saying, yeah, okay, just don't marry them because I know what's going to happen. And the same thing here. There's not going to be any poor among you, but be sure to take care of the poor. And he says, you know, you're going you're to live in peace, but here are judges and priests to help dis- to decide disputes. So the Bible often speaks of both sort of the, the, uh, the epitome of what God wants for us. And then it condescends to us and says, okay, but here's how you're going to live, right? You should have no slaves, but slaves obey your masters. It, it's always this, this sort of uh, this, this highlight between the way God wants it and the recognition that God knows that we're, we're sinners. I, I find it also interesting, and I want to ask you about it, verse 6, for Yahweh right. your God will bless you as he has promised you. And then here's the weird part. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. That, that idea comes up again in Deuteronomy 28. Um, and in fact, we even see a reversal of it in 28 also, where he basically says a curse would be that 
the sojourners will have to lend to you and you won't lend to him and that he shall be the head and you shall be the tail. But the blessing is you'll be the lender and you will be the ruler. I, I don't know. What, what does it actually mean, though, I guess? So if you go back to, to verse five leading into that, you do have that if, right, if only. So uh, there is a conditional promise that somehow connected to all of this. Um, uh, I've yet to find some real evidence of what we're talking about here that God lays out for his people actually being followed. Um, and, and you could even make the argument, uh, some will kind of pull this out as a, you know, uh, this is heavily connected with the exile itself as well. Um, you know, if they're not going to observe these Sabbaths, then God will do it for them as he hauls them off for the 70 years uh, to kind of, in some senses, make up for that. But there's this idea that if they are following God's commandment here and they are operating in these ways that it will go so well with them that they can release the debts and they can release um, the, the uh, slaves and God will provide for them by the steady stream, right? That is coming from the, the, the foreign nations. Uh, in Exodus 23, it's almost, it, it almost seems magical even because there God says, there'll be no sick among you. There'll be no miscarriages. There'll be no one who's barren. <laughs> like, like it'll be right. such a, an incredible blessing if you follow these commands and, and we might be left with, a, well, why, why does God say these things if he knows that they're not going to do it? Um, but I think in some senses here, uh, it's a, it, it does become a, a mirror for us, a shining light of uh, where we continually fall short and disregard God's word. And so when we look out into the world and we see all the troubles that we face, uh, we cannot ultimately hold those against God. Those are the result of our, our disobedience every day. And, um, and so this doesn't actually play out for Israel that they have this rule over, uh, you know, I found a few people in my studies. Uh, there are, there are some brothers and sisters in Christ who like to use verse six, almost as a prophetic, like there's this idea that someday, right. Israel will actually rule over all the other nations. Um, but again, I think we just come back to the fact that, um, God lays out a conditional promise for his people on Sinai. We know that they do not live up to that conditional promise, and therefore it is not fulfilled in them. Now, when Jesus comes, we see that Jesus takes the unconditional promises of God and the conditional promises of God, and he brings them together. And so there is a Ultimately, this is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Uh, ultimately, in the end, Christ will rule over all things. And so the scriptures also point to, in the Messianic promise, that there is a ruling over all it's a now, not yet reality. We're still waiting for Christ's return. Uh, but this conditional promise finds its fulfillment in Christ. Yeah. And in many ways, 
Christ, of course, and, and paramount, but also little reflections of the new heavens and new earth. I think you were getting at right. that too. You know, this is mm-hmm. this is what God wants for us. And that yeah. conditional, that's really important because God is saying, if you live according to the ways in which I live, you put your faith, hope, and trust in me to fight your battles for you. If you exercise the judgment I've called you to exercise against these Canaanites, basically, if you just do what I tell you, there are mm-hmm. so many rewards in store, but Amen. he knows they don't. But it also, I think, is a is a um, there's a compassion on God's part because knowing that people are incapable of being perfect, he still gives us his law anyway. And some people may see that as a burden, uh, and and it is to our sinful natures. But at the same time, this is where that distinction between being saved, justification, and sanctification come in. Here, these people, we aren't talking about how they're saved. We're talking about how they live out their faith as the chosen people of God. And so, yeah, to rule over others, to be lenders, that is to be the source of both governing and being the source of economies, this is kind of like, you know, new heavens and new earth kind of stuff. Not that those things will exist in the form that we understand them, but but yeah, the believers— are going to find a home wherein they rule alongside God uh, and, and not over unbelievers, but over each other. You know, it, it's a complicated idea, but it, it, I think it would have also made a little bit more sense in their time when they are accustomed to rulers coming in and out and all this other sorts of things. Yeah. And, you know, also in Deuteronomy 31, he'll talk about that all of this gets enacted um, on the at the gathering of the people at the Feast of Booths. So like they would come together for and this is where I think, honestly, it probably all breaks down. They they mm-hmm. stop reading the word of God and therefore they're not all looking at, yes, what God commands, but they also stop looking at what God has already done. Um, and so God get, wants to gather. He says, gather the men and the women and the little children and the sojourners and gather them all together. And we're going to this whole year of release was meant to be a celebration of what God had already done for them. God had brought them up out of Egypt. God had brought them into this land. They live in a land and they have land that they did not established themselves. God did, right? God took them who were all slaves, and now he has given this them this land. And so uh, all of this is really to be wrapped up in their worship of a God who has given them everything. And so you could read this as, God has commanded me to lose things, which isn't really what it's saying at all. God is reminding me of everything he's already given me. And then I now enact that in the lives of other people. Well, I think that's a good place for us to pause and we'll consider what our guest is sharing with us. Folks, don't go anywhere in just a few moments. When we return, Pastor Wilms and I will continue our discussion of Deuteronomy 15. See you on the other side.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today, it's the Reverend Levi Wilms, Associate Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church of Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. Once again, don't forget that you can contact me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E. Be sure to spell it right, at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. You can search for Phil Boo, send me a friend request, or send me a message. Or you can call in. That's okay. 1-800-730-2727. I'm eager to hear your questions, comments, complaints, whatever you'd like to talk about. We can, uh, if it fits within our topic, we'll get you on the air. All right. Well, let's head back into our text. And where we left off was just as we were dissecting this idea of what it meant to lend to many nations and rule over many nations. Um, let's keep on going. I'm going to pick up with verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that Yahweh your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing, and he cry to Yahweh against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this Yahweh your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your own land. Okay, wait a minute. You just said <laughs> there wouldn't be any poor. But, of course, we've already talked about that. That was conditional upon them um, following God's will. He knows they won't. So he makes consideration. And this is why I also kind of lean towards it being a full release instead of a deferment because that's the idea. It's like, oh, if I – you know, the the seventh year is like next month so or next year. I If I give to him, I'll never get anything back. And, and he explicitly says, that is not the spirit in which you should live. And, and, I, and I sent us to Jesus already, who makes it even clearer. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and, and maybe we're jumping there to verse 11. Uh, you know, I, I found it interesting in the, the study Bible kind of carries you over to the anointing uh, of Jesus at Bethany, um, where he quotes that. Um, you know, whether intentionally or just as a phrase that that is common. But it says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. And so the disciples were um, uh, very upset that, you know, she used this expensive uh, anointment for Jesus. Uh, it says, the poor you'll always have with me, but you won't always have me. Um, and so what she did was, was very good. But then um, 
uh, he moves at the end of that, both in Matthew and in Mark, um, where he says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the, the whole world, right, uh, this will be told with it. And uh, it's interesting how that kind of comes up at the end of 11.2, right? So it's the, the, yes, you'll never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Um, and, you know, when we go back to the very beginning of 15, it talks about that year of the Lord's release shall be proclaimed. Uh, it's the word for proclaiming, preaching, uh, held out there. And uh, Jesus talks about, I mean, there's kind of a transition there from just the land and money and those types of things to the, the greater release uh, that is coming through Jesus from from what makes this all a mess in its own right, this, you know, what causes them to, to not follow God's law, it's their own greed, uh, it's their eyes that look grudgingly on their poor brother, that they can't, if they can't get enough out of them, then they're not going to follow God's command. And Jesus is sort of saying, um, here's this precious gift that she's pouring out on me, because ultimately, I'm the one who releases uh, uh, you from your sin, who makes those who are slave to sin now slaves to Christ uh, and the joy and the freedom that he brings. And then that is ultimately proclaimed all over the world. Um, and so uh, there's kind of this limited physical picture that's going on here in Deuteronomy 15. But Jesus, I think, also expounds that the generosity of God is being poured out on all. Um, and this is just a limited picture that we see in Deuteronomy, but he expands it. Yeah, and, and I think that these things apply regardless of a of a Sabbath year. I, I mean, yeah. it, it's it's specific to them because of it, but the, the context mm -hmm. of giving to those who are in need without expecting something in return to quote Jesus, but just in, in general, you know, you're not doing it because you are trying to make some money. We could talk about usury and other things, but you're doing it because this is a fellow human being who needs help. Mm -hmm. You should yeah. open wide your hand to the brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. That verse 11, though, you know, there, there, <laughs> for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Some of the commentators I read talked about, well, this is Moses's statement and, and he's pessimistic <laughs> about the people's obedience, just like people like to try to divide up Paul from his inspired writing. Um, yeah, it could be, it could be, but, but if it is, he's, he's certainly speaking with the insight of God because yeah, that is not just mm -hmm. pessimistic. He knows these people and God certainly knows them. Uh, a lot better. But yeah, so so you shall open your hand, you lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Now, I, I think this is interesting because today we, and you mentioned this already, but we have these conglomerations which not only track credit worthiness, but give money and receive money. They make more money off people who generally don't pay their debts than the people who do. I mean, because of fees and I shouldn't say not pay their debts, but the poorer people, they end up making more money off of them. Um, if you have the money to pay off your debts every month, they don't make any money on you. It, it, it really does seem like we have strayed so far, economically speaking, from, um, from this ideal where we're just living together, helping each other out. Uh, 
do you think that's because of just the expanding and growing world? Do you think it's because of sin? Or are you going to, you know, maybe give me a third answer? What do you think? <laughs> yes. Uh, I, you know, I'm wrestling a lot with that because, you know, maybe I'm curmudgeon myself at times. Um, you know, as a pastor, uh, a lot of times we do have those that come. They're, they're, they, they are in need. There's no doubt about that. Um, but you find that it's just incredibly hard to actually help them. Um, you know, and so at least our practice, a lot of times we've done, you know, a basic, uh, you know, here, we, we love you. We want to help you, you know, but then eventually can we just keep pouring things into someone where we don't have the ability to, to kind of help them through things. And so it's easy to get kind of burned at times. And then I, you know, I, so I, I guess I'm sharing my own guilt. You start to feel like, am I just grudgingly or am I just, uh, you know, when I sort of say, uh, I'm not really helping you. And so I'm holding something back or, um, so all those things kind of start to come into play. And I just, I'm a, and maybe this is my excuse. I just, I see in here that there is some advantages in an agrarian society where if I have land, I can literally say, come and work and I'll provide for you. And I don't personally always know how I can do that. <laughs> um, and so yeah. uh, I, there was one time I did, I gave and I think I kind of, uh, probably weirded my wife out, but I had a guy <laughs> move this giant pile of wood chips at my house. Right. And then, you know, and I think he was happy to do it and it was a great thing, but you know, I think we, the, the, whether it be liability issues, again, you know, it comes into this, all this legal mess we're in sometimes too, is just, you know, it's not always easy to sort of maintain that personal responsibility and at the same time, a generous attitude. And so how do I repent over and over again where um, I lose sight of the generosity that, that God would have um, and at the same time work within whatever we have right, to actually help the person to step into responsibility, know that God is with them, that God can help them, and that there is a future uh, that, that they can work towards because God has set them free um, from their sin, and they can walk in new patterns, especially when most of the people that we, we encounter that are, are, are poor or really struggling, um, if we're honest, there's been a lot of stuff done to them, either by their their upbringing or by maybe people in their lives currently. And so it's never so simple as just they're not responsible. It's they come in a long line and there's a lot of baggage around them. They are slaves to, to many things and they need to hear God's release and God is there to, to establish them in the gospel is there to, guide and help them uh, to a better position. Uh, yes, we will always have the poor in the land, um, but God has also put us in a place where we can proclaim the freedom and help and support at the same time. And so I, I think there's some things that we face today that, that are a challenge to that, uh, but I don't think it's 
fair for us as Christians just to say, well, we're done. <laughs> we don't have to do this because it's just <laughs> too hard. Um, you know. Well, now I've heard uh, that too. I've heard people use Jesus's words and I guess Moses's words here uh, to say, well, since we're always going to have poor, then we don't need to worry about them. And that's certainly <laughs> not the message from the gospel. On the other nope. hand, um, I, I like to say, and I think I picked this up from, I don't know, some pastor somewhere. Um, uh, actually, my original home pastor, uh, the Reverend John Green, I mean, that's who it was. But anyway, I like to say uh, Jesus calls us to be soft hearted, but not soft headed. So yeah. we're, we're given yeah. sanctified common sense to give another term to it, to examine what will best help people. Most of the folks who are out in the listening audience, if you don't work in a church or, or a similar type of place, you might encounter people in need, frankly, kind of irregularly, depending on where you live. Um, and I'm not just talking about, you know, folks on the streets holding up signs. I'm just talking about someone generally your neighbor that needs help. And typically it's pretty easy when you're called to duty to help your neighbor in the moment. Um, somebody uh, is uh, has an accident. They, they trip and fall in front of you. You're going to pick them up. They have a car wreck. You're going to run over there and see if they need help. Uh, and then typically when it comes to money, too, I think most people are pretty generous, Christians especially. Now, yeah. with that said, what our guest is talking about is something that churches, I think, might be a little unique to. And that is that depending on what size of city you're in, but it applies to all churches, we sometimes have a long line of people coming in looking for help because they see the church as a place for help. Um, but then there are those people who we become very familiar with. We know the games. We know the systems. We know how they go from church to church to church. And so we also have to be a good steward of, of the church's property. And, and as our guest said, does this even help them, right? Does giving them 20 bucks help them? Does putting them up in the hotel help them? And I, and I do that probably once every couple of months I'm, I'm doing that. And I live in a small area, so someplace that's bigger. Here's my point, and I want to highlight what our guest said. In the end of the day— what all of this is really pointing to is that ultimate release from Jesus, that our sins are forgiven. The debt of our sin is forgiven, and we're getting ready to talk about slavery, but our slavery to sin is, is we're released from. And when they're in the church, 20 bucks is one thing, 100 bucks, whatever, but the real message that we're trying to give them, the real gift, it, it becomes kind of a, a silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus, you know, yeah. uh, and, and that becomes our job. In would it be nice if we well, I, I was about to get into some legal stuff, but let's not do that. But in any case, I, I do. I think I just want to highlight the guest the guest statement that our job primarily is to certainly help the poor as individuals. But we also have that duty to bring them to Christ. And sometimes that means uh, bearing with them in their burdens. And sometimes it means being honest with them about, well, say things like addiction or dependence and that sort of thing. Any other thoughts though before we move on to the next fun Well, section? and it does get into what does poor actually mean as well. You know, mm -hmm. I, you might have a situation where there was one lady that, you know, she was living in a $150 a night hotel, you know, and I'm like, well, I can't justify giving you church's money when that's what you're living in, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So like poor is a relative term. And, and I think that's where we struggle because in some ways, a lot of us have quite a bit of wealth. And so sometimes our interaction with them comes as much from guilt over the blessings we do live in as much as anything. And then you sort of get into there's like the visible poorness. And then a lot of times it's 
you get into it, it's more the the relational breakdowns it's their i mean obviously their relationship with god but uh, you know the uh, uh, dealing with people that maybe yes they have they they have physical needs that are semi cared for they're not in the way that i would want to live necessarily cuz i you know but but they're cared for but but there's all these other things that make them poor in spirit you would say uh there there's such uh, such brokenness. They, they they didn't have a father, right? They, they don't have anyone in, anyone in their life that comes in the midst of them that that can actually authoritatively speak truth into their situation in a way that draws their heart in a different direction. And so uh, there's and the, and there's a, so a lot of times a wall against that. And so I, I mean. I, I think a lot of times we read these texts and we and we think primarily on the the monetary or what is visible, and then it's just how do you actually help them into the underlying things that are more important. So <laughs> it's just yeah. a challenge. Yeah. No, and and folks at home, you know, if you hear kind of the struggle in our guest voice and my voice as we try to explain this, I can't speak for my guests, but I suspect you'll agree that comes from a place of we really just want to help every single person that we encounter. And yet carry with us that burden of saying sometimes the help isn't monetary. Sometimes the help isn't what they're asking for. Um, are, are we in a position to judge that? Well, sometimes, right? This isn't about judging whether or not people are believers. It's it's using our sanctified common sense um, in the same way that, you know, like jail might be a punishment to some, but to others are so used to it, it doesn't do any good. So it sounds like what you're saying, brother, is that yeah. part of our job as a church, because we deal with the whole person, is to help them get at the heart of the problem. But then there are all kinds of other realities that unfortunately we don't have enough time to get into, but that make that even difficult. Uh, let's move on. Uh, let's look at verse 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free among you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor and out of your wine press. As Yahweh your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and Yahweh your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he's well off with you. Then you should you shall take an awl and put it through his ear, put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave you shall do the same. It shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free from you, for at half the cost of a hired worker he has served you six years. So Yahweh your God will bless you in all that you do. Um, very practical stuff. Uh, a Hebrew man, a Hebrew woman, I think it's important to let people know, can sell themselves into servitude. It, it, this is a little distinct from what we think of as the Atlantic slave trade. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I, oh, I, it's interesting that it's just hard to imagine where someone would say, I would rather be a slave than live in the situation I'm in. Uh, you know, probably the closest connection we have as a story might be Prodigal Son, right? Where he is, uh, I'd rather be uh, a slave to my father um, than 
a slave in this foreign land feeding slop to pigs, right? Uh, so their situation is so dire that, hey, if you will cover my debts, if you will um, uh, establish me and give me a place to live, I will I will be your slave for six years, you know? Um, that And honestly, in the ancient world, that is not entirely uncommon. It's kind of a win-win idea, uh, which is hard for us to maybe grasp in the history of our country with slavery. But both sides agreeing that this is a good outcome. Uh, You'll (laughs) have a better living situation and I will have cheap labor. And this is (laughs) win-win. That sounds exactly like my contract with KFUO. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i don't know the legal standing of that, <laughs> oh i'm just joking i'm just joking but no it does sound like it does sound like a contract right i mean there, yep. there we do have parallels today you you say listen my life's going to be improved by the monetary value that you give me for my labor and then uh, i'm going to uh hopefully benefit you by giving you uh, effective labor so I'm not equating employment directly to slavery or even the type of servitude that's being spoken of here, but I do think it has parallels, you know, and even Luther, even even Luther makes those connections in the small catechism. Yeah. It's just like you have a time frame. You're not allowed to leave until the end of the time frame. Uh, Most of our employment situation, I mean, there are contracts that work that way in a sense, or it's costly to you to leave early. Um, but we don't really have much where you have no freedom. Uh, if you if you want well, to pay the cost of leaving early, you can do so. Yeah, the only small, I guess, example I would make, and then we'll move on because we do have a little bit left to go, but is um, there are people who uh, institutionalize themselves. They purposely mm-hmm. commit crime so that they can benefit from the – from the uh, shelter and food of our uh, penal institutions. And, you know, there are lots of desperate situations out there. So I don't think it's completely unheard of, but I agree with you. It it is hard for us to get our mind around because we think of more of, 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 you know, like I said, going to other countries, grabbing people, uh, their own people, selling them into slavery. And, you know, and that's something that's been experienced by ethnicities around the world. And it's something that God definitely opposes. But here, it's almost like he's being merciful and allowing people to do this if they want. Um, there are other conditions. <laughs> we just we just can't, frankly, get get through everything, of course. But, yeah, if they do enjoy their servitude in the sense that out in the world they have no skills, no house, no land, no food. But here they have a kind master. They have a place to live. Um, perhaps it's not a, a, an animus relationship. Maybe they everybody gets along. And they say, hey, I just want to stick with you forever. You know, we could we could rewind to the time of serfs and lords where um, that was extremely common. So um, any anyway, we do have a few more verses. I'd love to keep talking about that. But let's head into 19. <laughs> yeah. All the fir- we've actually talked about slavery quite a bit on this program because it comes up so often. Uh, verse 19. All the firstborn males that are born out of your herd and flock, you shall dedicate to Yahweh your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it, you and your household, before Yahweh your God, year by year at the place that Yahweh will choose. But if it has any blemish, if it's lame or blind or has any serious blemish whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to Yahweh your God. You shall eat it within your town gates. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. 
So uh, that's sort of the the uh, the end of our chapter. He's bringing it back a little bit to the clean and unclean animals, but essentially, right, uh, all firstborn males that are born out of your herd and flock that are blemish free, yeah, that's not that's something to sacrifice, not something to put to work. Uh, that's that's got to connect to Jesus, right, brother? Amen. <laughs> no, I I. One of the things that I think is easy to lose in that section right there, too, and and really I would say the whole chapter, is that God intends us to be in relationship of worship to him and rejoicing always. Uh, it doesn't say it right here, but if you, in Deuteronomy 12, he talks about eating before Yahweh and rejoicing and be glad. Uh, and Deuteronomy 14, he talks about as we bring this firstborn, we learn to fear him uh, and then rejoice you and your household. And so all of this is meant not to sort of see that animal as, man, what can I get out of that? Or maybe I can, could I just shear that sheep before I give him to the Lord so that I can get everything I possibly can out of it? You know, the, the goal here is that his people would come and rejoice that God has already given them everything. He's already established them. He forgives their sins. He's given them land. He's given them a, a standing before him. Out of all the nations of the world, he had chosen them. <laughs> so uh, all these things are meant that we would stand before God in a celebratory rejoicing for who we are. Um, and here, all this Again, I got away from your first question about Christ, but all of this is where we see the exact same thing. Um, we have an even greater standing before God as we come together as his people. Yes, we come to confess our sins and to receive his gifts, um, but we also come week in and week out to rejoice in our standing because of the sacrifice that God has made, giving his own son, his firstborn son, uh, that, that we might be redeemed for him. And so our entire relationship is one of standing and rejoicing and celebration for what God has done. Well, I think that's a nice word to end our program on. And I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Levi Wilms, Associate Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church of Sauk Rapids, Minnesota, which you've been there for uh Coming up on a year now, right? Yeah, it's kind of cool getting to a, a year of relationship with the church. Uh, my call wasn't actually extended till right before Easter, and I've been here since June. But Excellent. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show again. It's been a fun conversation. Uh, I can't wait to have you on again. All right. Thank you. God be Folks, with you. Uh, Folks, tomorrow we're preempted by Linton Music, but come back on Thursday when I'm joined by the Reverend Derek Waffle. He's going to help us explore chapters 16 and 17. Uh, that Those chapters provide instructions on celebrating the three major Israelite festivals, Passover, the Festival of Weeks, and the Festival of Booths. Uh, that's going to be important. You're going to want to be here for that because it helps us understand the way we celebrate Pentecost and things today. Also, I want to let you know that this Friday is the first Friday. It's March 1st, so that makes it Free Text First Friday. And our topic will be on the practice of Seder meals among Christians. Specifically, we're asking the question, are so-called Christian Seders appropriate for Christians? And if so, in what context? And if not, why not? My guest to help us dig into this timely topic is the Reverend Dr. Daniel Gard. So don't miss it. That's going to be on Friday. 
So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.